Welcome to the Leadership Drip, coffee and conversations for leaders leading the next generation. We're excited to welcome another incredible guest to the table. But before we do, could you do us a favor and hit that subscribe button? While you're at it, go ahead and give us a five-star review. That helps these conversations reach other great leaders. Pour yourself a cup of coffee and get ready to join us at the table for another great episode of the Leadership Drip. Jeff, welcome back to the show. It's so good to be back on campus, be back behind the microphone. How you doing? I'm doing well. It is almost spring break week here. And it is feeling like spring break. It's like 80 here. We were talking about our second spring break as Lee University students. Do you remember this? It was like yes. 100 degrees in March here in Southeast Tennessee. Yeah, I rebuked like, that. <laughs> it's not going to be that. But I worked <laughs> at the golf course back then, and 100 degrees in the golf course was like blazing hot. But it is spring-like, though. It is spring-like. And, and we have a fellow Tennessean on this a show fellow with us. Tennessean. He's suffering with us. And I, I am excited to have a good friend back on the show with us. He's a prominent speaker, church expert. Uh, and since the last time we talked to him on the show, he actually has planted and launched a church called The Well in Columbia, Tennessee. And he and his wife, Holly, run Mule Town Farm in Columbia there as well. So, man, so excited to have you back on the show, Chris. Welcome back. Yeah, total honor. And uh, as you guys were just, you know, I think about you guys. I think about the the tour that I took uh, there at Lee, you know, quite a while ago. And since that tour, both of my my old, I got a junior and a sophomore, and they're both planning on going to Lee. So, Oh, nice. And uh, I was just... I was just serving out in San Jose with a worship leader and a, a guest worship leader. And they both said they went to Lee uh, back in 95, I think 95, 96, and 97. They're baseball players. Oh, and they had, still today had nothing but good things to say about Lee. So I'm just super honored. Show. Oh man, that's awesome. Robin and I got here in 98. Yeah. So just, just after them. But we find that all over the place, this little small town, like Lee's like a community. And like you just bump into people who are like, yeah, I'm a Lee grad too. And you're like, really? How did I not know that? Yeah. So. And by the way, just, just in a shameless promo, Jeff and I will give you a personal tour of the campus. If you're on the show yes, yes. and you're listening, you want a personal tour, Jeff and I are great at it. Well, I don't, so. none of them are great, but we'll give you the tour. So. <laughs> well, man, hey, let's catch Thank Thanks, you. Thank Ed. you. Obviously, that's where your boys want yeah. to come. So. so let's catch up a little bit. So uh, growing up on a farm, I understand farm life and you're down there on Mule Town Farm. So uh, how's farm life for you? Do you need me to come repair fences? Like what's going on down there or up there? Rather, it's up there around more. Yeah, well, I will say I will say that you guys have a standing invite to stay anytime you want to on the farm. We've got um, four four different cabins that people can stay in and um, like little Airbnbs. And it's like 30, you know. 30 acres of rolling hills and just, nice. you know, it's this time of year, it kind of shows off in the spring and the fall. It's ridiculously amazing. Yeah. So my wife and I are just finding ourselves, you know, around sunset every night, just kind of walking around the farm and enjoying it, soaking it up. But what we enjoy more than that is watching others enjoy it. So we'll be just kind of peek outside and watch a couple walking around the farm or watch some kid running around and petting the horses. It's, it's just a lot of fun. So that's all awesome. yeah, we're having a blast. It's something that kind of fell in our lap and we're really enjoying it. That's well, awesome. I'll, I'll say it for Chris. If you want a free tour of the farm, it's highlighted in a country music video, is it not? That's right. It is. Uh, somehow the words got out of the topography and just the way it overall feel. And so several country music, music artists have come out there. One of them, if you're ever listening, if you guys are kind of, you know, you're listening in and you're a country music fan, there's a song out by um, uh, Jordan Davis. And it mm-hmm. is uh, kind of... Uh, Luke Bryan was a guest in the song, but it's called By Dirt, and uh, that was filmed on my property. That's so cool. Awesome. I forgot all about yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, I'd seen that, so Gosh, I shout I, that out. So. I want to be in a music video. 
<laughs> that day, that day has come and went for us, Rob. Like the boy band day can, has come and went. Can I be like like a farmhand in the background, like shoveling like the horse manure? You know what I'm saying? Like, can I can I do that next? I don't know that, I don't know that he's got that kind of pull. You don't got that? Okay, okay, okay. <laughs> yeah, I'll just I'll get with Luke. I'll tell Luke. Yeah, I'll just tell him just call Luke and say, hey, I got a guy. He wants to shovel horse manure yeah. in the background of your music video. We're not name dropping country artists at all right <laughs> now. Not, I mean, no, no. We're not even, yeah. Well, but the big change is that yeah. you are now lead pastor of the well in Columbia, Tennessee, which was I think announced like weeks after we talked. Yeah, to you. just weeks. It was yeah. just sort of a, a you leaked it out. You and Holly. Um, so what have you learned? Because you are a leadership expert. You're one of our favorite leaders to talk to. What have you learned about leadership? since starting the church that maybe you didn't know going in? Well, one of them is I realize, I'm now realizing how good of a leader I'm not. Um, because so many people, you know, let's say you're listening in right now and you're on a staff. And uh, let's say your ministry area is crushing it. It's very easy for us as leaders who are serving underneath another leader to take all of those wins that you're having and say that you're the one that's creating them. Mm. Um, the thing is, is what you're doing is you're latching on to someone else's vision. You're not the main visionary. And so you're getting the benefits of all this momentum and all this vision and all this excitement, and you're just latching onto it and just, and you're not the one having to create it from scratch. Yeah. I mean, of course we know that the overall leader is Jesus. We know that. Okay, but underneath that, it is this whole idea of praying for him to work while you're working. And it's not either or, it's both. But the working side, the human element of the creating vision, giving it language, articulating it, make sure vision's not leaking. I'm now realizing, oh, shoot, I'm actually the visioneer. I've got to like, I got to wordsmith this. I've got to make sure it's sticky. I got to make sure that people can really latch on to it. They know what I'm talking about. I got to make sure that I'm visioneering enough that it's uh, people are getting it enough. So that would be one thing. I think another one is I saw a tweet the other day from uh, um, Kerry Newhoff. And of course, Kerry Newhoff's a friend of mine. And I look up to everything. He, 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 he developed some great content for everybody. And this is not a dig at him or even a dig at the tweet because I actually believe in it. However, I felt like there's another level. He said, cool churches, cool church yeah. is being uh, replaced as, you know, replaced with authentic church. Authentic yeah. church is what people yeah. are craving. Totally correct. And so for me, what I'm learning, though, is there's another level. I think people are craving not cool church, not even authentic church, although authentic church is better than cool church. It's this next level of is it truly his church? Is yeah. it truly? Can I, can I feel like this is not even about the leadership? This is not even about this particular congregation. People are looking for a movement of God that is even like um, a regional like among like five or six churches that, that are similar styles and similar um, uh, the way they express themselves. People are looking for a movement that's beyond the walls. That's not so uh, it's about this church. And so those are probably the two biggest things that have uh, stuck out to me. And, I, and also I think, you know, the right now we're about six, seven months in. Yeah. And uh, how, how important trust is but to be patient, to develop trust before you start asking for stuff before you start saying, Hey, you know, before you start promotion and like self-marketing and promotion and here's, we're the next biggest church in the world. It's going to be amazing. And nobody wants to hear that anymore. Mm -hmm. I think you get in there, be all about Jesus and you just usher in the presence of God, build trust, 
And then, then you can start, hey, people will understand you know, where you're coming from, understand your heart before you ever get into promotion. We didn't do any public promotion whatsoever, not even one little, little bit, not, no signs, no nothing. We just opened the doors and we just said, hey, we're going to usher in the presence of God. And if his presence is here and he's doing things, well, we know that he wants to grow what he wants. He's also going to fund what he wants. Mm. And so the word of mouth will happen if the real stuff is actually here. So I don't know. You asked for one, I gave you three. No, I, I think it's great. I think, well, a couple of thoughts that I have. I mean, Kuzas and Posner echoed that stuff all over the place, right? In terms of leadership trust, it is like the the primary, the number one thing when people are looking for or something in a leader. It's like, will you do what you say you're going to do? Can they trust you, right? I mean, that's leadership trust is a massive conversation to be had, not only in just, you know, corporations or organizations, but obviously in pastoral leadership. So the fact that you're kind of highlighting that it's, it's not, it's not style. It's not, it's not, you know, uh, vibe or look or feel or aesthetic. It's, it's, it's the, it's the character of the leader, the character of the pastor that they're, mm-hmm. that they're looking for. And that's, that's a very humbling reality to contend with. Right. I mean, as a pastor and as a leader, I mean, this is, this is where you really understand the, the weight of the authority that God has placed on you. And so I think if we focus on building our leadership character, that makes, that makes a bigger impact than building, building our platform or, or anything else. Yeah. I mean, so and then I really appreciate the fact that you talked about sort of this regional sort of, is God moving? Is God, is God uh, breathing? Is he, is he operating in, in this kind of component? It's authentic church. Is it Jesus's church? And again, just to echo it, I mean, within Gen Z, we're seeing it here on campus. Like this is what students are flocking to, right? This is, this is what they're after. This is, we have cross club sort of un, unmanufactured prayer meetings happening from, from the band students and, and the people in that group to, to the Greek clubs who are just, who are, you know, your classically traditional, like jockheads or whatever, you know what I'm saying? Like the, the meatheads, but but they're all like colliding together in these spaces in these houses all around town. And they're just like going after Jesus. And it's just been incredible to see, especially in this past year, just what God is doing. And so that's a very microscopic view of what you're saying, I think, is a larger narrative that God wants to do, especially in the church in America. So I appreciate Appreciate yeah. that. Sorry, I got a little preachy. No, I've had too good. much coffee. It's good. It's good. I want to. I want to push on this trust idea a little bit, Chris. When you talk about trust, and you guys were there in Columbia, already integrated into the culture of the city a little bit. Your kids were in the schools, but when you talk about trust and and sort of as you launch the church, what who what groups or who specifically were you trying to build trust with? Yeah. So for me, a, a couple of ones. So if anyone who's, you know, there's probably about four people that are listening in that are familiar with me before the show, <laughs> but those of you that were just so you know, um, you know, I had this, whatever you want to call it national platform. Okay. And for me, God has called me to be a lot more local, to be more about my city, which is very uh, out of order than what's normal. Mm. However, coming and serving in a local community, when you've been this perceptive, at least perceived as this national personality, I have to like really gain trust that it's real, mm-hmm. that it's like, I genuinely care about my community for what was perceived as for the first time, because I've been jumping on planes 20 days a month to go serve people outside my city and right. not actually serve my city. And so one of the things I've had to do is really, is he real? Is he, does he really care about us? Yeah. Is he? No, no. 
really does no seriously does he is his heart here um and so that's been one one pocket another one is there isn't we're in the southeast and so there's as you guys know this being in tennessee there is a spirit of religion yeah that's prominent in the southeast yeah. and so we have a lot more of a um very energetic passionate um vibrant type style and so that particular pocket that's what i feel like is suffering from the spirit of religion they're in dead dry religion they need fresh faith uh, they've been stuck in a rut. Um, there are people that are express, you know, not very expressive that have a very genuine, intimate relationship with Christ, and right. they're not stuck in religion, but many of them are. Mm-hmm. And uh, that particular pocket of people, when they see high energy and high excellence, um, they naturally just gravitate towards saying it's shallow or saying that it's too polished or it's about the performance. And for me, I'm like, how can, why can we not have both? How can yeah. I not have a, why, why can I not deliver excellence and have a sincere heart and genuinely love Jesus and be able to do both of them? There's no reason why just because you love Jesus, church has to be boring. Mm-hmm. I don't understand that. So yeah. those are two, those are two pockets um, that I really have to, you know, is this real guy really want to be a shepherd? Um, he's been traveling on airplanes and I, does he really have the time and energy to pour into a local community? Yeah. yeah. I, you know, I, I'm from a perspective where nothing in our life is wasted. Like I think God can redeem every ounce of our pain or hurts, our failures, our weaknesses, all of those things, right? Our strengths, our abilities, like nothing is wasted in the kingdom. So, so coming into this new role as a, as a senior pastor, launching a church, which church planning in and of itself is its own beast, right? I mean, that is its own sort of mm-hmm. skill set and calling, right? That's, that's tough. Um, and so, so what are some things that in your experience up to this point have served you well that maybe many people may look and say, Hey, I didn't think that mattered, but maybe it actually does. Does that make sense? Yeah, totally. Yeah. I tell people quite often that I probably, I'm so thankful that I didn't try to plan a church in my twenties or thirties, especially in my twenties. Um, nowadays, this is might be good for listeners to hear, um, just because of the, probable demographic of most listeners um, is that just when you get up there and right now there's this thing, if you give a great sermon or a great message uh, on one weekend and you prepared for like five or six weeks and you crush it and you get a lot of good feedback in the lobby, you immediately think, well, I'm ready to be a lead pastor. I'm ready to be a youth pastor. I'm ready to be a a young adults pastor. And there's just more to it. And I think for me, my number one learning, uh, my just sort of like tool of my, my, in my tool belt has been an intuition and instinct and ministry intuition and people skills that have taken 20 years. You know what? I think that person needs a phone call. No, that person needs an encouraging text. You know what? And just that, that Holy spirit discernment that can only happen through 20 years of ministry. I, I would not have that in my mid twenties or mid thirties. And so that's probably been the biggest thing uh, for me. Um, and just the ability to be able to, to generate trust. Um, just the, the patient, the patient, well, another one is, uh, the patience for simplistic church. You've got people coming in, coming up to you in the lobby, um, saying, I want to start this. I want to start that. I want to start this. I want to start that. Just the patience to be able to say, Hey, you know what? Our infrastructure, we're we cannot do that well. And we're just, we're not going to equip you well. We're not going to resource you well. We're not going to support you well. And so this is not the right season for that. Maybe in the fall or maybe in the spring. Mm-hmm. Uh, those are just some of those things that I feel like 
and just even the authority to be able to speak as a, you know, I'm not 60, but I'm 44, but I'm also not 25. Mm-hmm. So to be able to speak intelligently and be able to speak authoritatively of like, hey, I've done this for a little while. And so you generate competency trust a lot quicker than you would if you were in your middle. Yeah, I agree with that. I, as a 44-year-old myself who planted a church at the same time Chris did. You guys are crazy. Yeah. I feel like I had I had the um, the balance of zeal and wisdom. So what I where I had lots of zeal in my 20s and not a lot of framework to work from, in the 40s now I have a little more wisdom. Maybe the zeal is not quite as much, but I have sort of the best of both worlds with enough energy and wisdom to run after it. Um, I think that's one of the advantages I've learned about pastoring at this age. Like I still got the energy to go after it and I got a little more wisdom to go after it with and make some better decisions along the process. Um, so that's, that's what I'm finding. I don't know if that's true for you, Chris or not, but I love this conversation too. Cause I think I get, I get asked questions all the time uh, by students here on campus. Like, Hey, what's something that they didn't teach you in seminary that I need to know as a pastor, right? Everything, Every, everything, right? <laughs> so, well, literally everything. But the point is, this particular conversation, the Sunday morning conversation, when somebody feels a tug or a nudge or a word from the Lord that they want to start or launch or create a new ministry within the church, and they just know it's from God. It is one, in my experience, it is one of the most difficult conversations I had to have as a senior pastor, because on one hand, you want them to stay and remain inspired and on fire for Jesus, right? You want them to take that passion and move forward. But on the other hand, you know your culture, you know your speed, you know your church, you know where you are, and you can't just say anybody who wants to start anything, like, do it, like, go for it. I mean, there's there's, there's a, also a rhythm and a balance to that as well. And so maybe just practically just take it down another nuts and bolts level just a little bit if you can. For those who might be listening, who are young, who who struggle with those kinds of conversations yeah. on a Sunday, like talk to us about that. What what are some what are some just key things that you do to kind of help people stay engaged and at the same time say, hey, not yet, already, but not yet. <laughs> yeah, so I, I you know I filtered this kind of this conversation um, through a couple filters. Number one is, of course, my heart as a shepherd is that uh, right. everyone listening in right now. And everyone that's here on a Sunday morning, they would be able to experience the magic that happens when you combine the at the intersection of community and purpose. Right. So you're going to experience community in some kind of activity, but also purpose at the same time. And so I'm actually trying to create uh, uh, environments and create activities so they can experience that. So I actually want things like this. I just don't want too many programs, but I do want to create some avenues for people to do that. I'm also looking for the intersection. This kind of overlays the other filter of people's gifts and their experience. So, okay, I, what are what are you gifted at? What do you love? What is your passion? Plus, actually, the intersection of three things. It's your, your passion. Like, what are the things you're really interested in? Your gifts. You're actually gifted in it also. It's not either or. It's also. You're passionate about it and you're gifted. And your experience, like you've got some experience doing it. So I want to overlay that on top of the community and purpose. Now, here's the one I think what makes the well unique. And I don't know if it is because now I'm not in churches every week. So now I'm in one for the last seven months. So, um, but what I think what makes us unique is you go to Ephesians 4, 11 and 12, where it talks about equipping the saints for acts of service. Many a times we've uh, maybe intentionally, unintentionally have spun that verse 
and said, hey, we want to equip the saints for acts of service. And immediately we put them into a bubble, put them into this box of like acts of service, what they mean, what it means. It means these particular roles in the church that we actually have defined, and we actually think you need to fill these roles, usher, parker, greeter, cafe, uh, preschool, kids, ministry, student ministry, groups. And so we've got these little funnels. And so what we're saying is, hey, we want to equip you. This is what you're called to do. You got to find out what your calling is. You need to, you need to hand out a flyer at the door. Well, that's messed up. That's messed up that what we're saying is, let's just say I've got a doctor or I've got some big shot engineer that's in the seats. And I'm saying, hey, you need to discover your calling. Your calling is either. I mean, your, your passion, what you need to go after is you need to be an usher or a greeter. Mm-hmm. And what we've done is given them a box of like seven options. What I want to do is I want to equip the saints for acts of service for what they want to do with those first two filters I shared. Yeah. Gifts and experiences, community and purpose and their passions. What do they want to do? So all this, I'm going full circle here, coming all the way back to the original question. When I get those questions in the lobby, I'm asking myself, okay, let's sit down. I want to shepherd you through this. I want to walk you through this. Let's process it. Let's dream together. Let's leverage the conversation for me to actually connect to them a little bit deeper as a shepherd. Instead of a yes or a no, go see so-and-so. No, let's come in. Let's have a chat about this. I, I'd love to process this with you. All it is is an excuse for us to connect at a deeper level. Hello. Yeah. And now I can shepherd them at a deeper level, no matter which direction we go. Then in the conversation, I can say, man, this really does. Let's, let's, let's think about this. Would you actually enjoy this three months from now? Would you enjoy it nine months from now? Is this something that you're actually good at and you would be fulfilled and rewarded because it takes off and it's successful? Or is it got potential to really not, not grow any legs? And John Maxwell, I love his quote. If there's a ministry in your church, he says, if it's a dead horse, dismount. Yeah. Being like, yeah. man, let's just end it. Why, why yeah. do we have programs that don't work? Right. Yeah. And so like, if it's not working and no one's, there's no fruit, let's, let's, let's go. Let's, 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 let's end it. Let's uh, put it on a permanent sunset. Yeah. So, um, Anyway, so I bring them in and I say, hey, let's see if this works. Then here's the, here's the, here's the kicker. And then I say, hey, you are knighted. Go do it. We're going to give you excellent much resourcing. We're going to give you so much support. We're going to give you uh, somebody who's going to coordinate your room or coordinate your child care or whatever it's appropriate. We're going to get behind you as a church. We're going to get behind you. Mm. But man, if you want people in this activity, if you need 15 or you need seven, there's a full lobby full of humans every weekend. And if you're going to prove that you're a good leader and you really are passionate, experienced, and gifted in this, you will tap people on the shoulder that you think. So there's no, no pressure on me to actually grow it. Right. I don't have to launch it. And like, if you genuinely care about it, and I really do believe if they really do their passion, not, and there's a difference between passion, you got me preaching now. There's a difference between passion and interest. A lot of people say the word passionate and it's thrown around like crazy. Yeah. What they really mean is I'm interested. I'm moderately yeah. interested. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The way that I define passion is if you're in a back alley and there is a Doberman pincher and it is chasing you and you are passionate about getting away from that Doberman pincher, that's the level of intensity of passion. Right. When we use passion in everyday language, what we're saying is, oh, I'm interested in that. Because yeah. if you listen to somebody who uses the word passion a lot, they're passionate about this, they're passionate about that. Passionate. You can't have that many passions. So I want to go, I want to match people with their actual passions, not their interest for the week. And that take, that takes harder work. I mean, that's so good. That's like, that's like a whole book maybe by itself, but (laughs) point is like, and, 
and I'm not trying to reduce how we've simplified some things. So, for example, a lot of times we've reduced finding your purpose to, hey, what are those things that make you feel butterflies on a Sunday morning? Or, you, you know what I'm saying? Like that you saw some, a commercial on TV and it and it provoked a thought in you. And that's all good. Like, I, I want to do that. But we've really removed the sacredness of the discipleship process and discovering your passion. I mean, those are great for causes. Those are great for like, hey, I want to give, you know, $5 to, you know, the, the human trafficking campaign that we're doing. That's cool. Like, do that. But we, we have removed the sacredness of really what it means to discover our purpose through discipleship, through through engaging God's word, because there's really no other way that we can fully understand our purpose and our calling unless we're doing that. And so I think I think it's. Part of our responsibility as leaders, yes, but certainly as the local church, is to reinforce that component of discovering your purpose, not just the thing that makes you feel good on a on yeah. a on a Sunday or you saw a promo video and you're like, man, I got to be involved. And it goes back to your conversation. Some people are interested, but they really don't understand their passion or their purpose. Right. And I think that requires discipleship. Here's what I love about Chris's model that he just shared. What it puts in check is when somebody comes up and goes, Pastor, you know what we should do. And we is the pastor. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. You know exactly. what we should have at our church, yeah. which means, hey, pastor, you should start this. Yeah, we had plenty so, of those conversations. Yeah, yeah. So what this does is takes that that responsibility off. Hey, the church is going to do it to this individual leader, disciple, follower of Jesus. Can now has an avenue to do something they are either passionate about or not. I mean, so I appreciate that, Chris. I do want to shift the conversation a little bit. Uh, we talked off air about you guys were launching. And then three weeks later, the belonging comes to Columbia, Tennessee. Um, but there seems to be just in general, not besides the belonging, besides your church, there's just something happening in Middle Tennessee. Um, we've had we have other friends, Kevin Queen at Cross Point, yeah, Robbie Gowdy, who's going to be on the show later uh, in this season. There just seems to be a move of God regionally. What what's going on? Can you put your finger on it? Can you unpack it for us? Like. Like, I'm ready to move there. Like, if I had just planned a church that had kids, I'm going to Middleton Z. <laughs> well, you know, I think it's like any kind of snowball, you know, snowball builds. And think about, what, like, the actual physicality of what a snowball does when it builds. And so you've got momentum, you're rolling down the hill, and just snow keeps sticking to it. Yeah. And I feel like it's like, I, I do feel what you're feeling. I feel like pre-revival. Um, and I, I feel like all the walls are coming down from the territorialism between churches. Yeah, um, I think there's a little bit of that that's just normal because of methods and um, just denominations and just style. But within style, within like, and for me, it's more of the non-denominational feel as far as methodology. Um, that that world, what you referred to a few of the churches, uh, we just they're breaking down the walls of territorialism, which no one ever said that we had. It's, it wasn't real. It wasn't like the formal code of like we're over here, you stay over here. Right. It's just in the water. It's just this informal right. of like, hey. And you get busy, and so you guys don't talk much. And so the next thing you know, it's like you feel like you're in different camps. But right now, there's this spirit of unity that's just in the water right now where it's like, hey, hey, how are you? What are you guys thinking about Easter? Hey, what? And just picking up the phone and talking, hey, can I borrow a worship leader for a worship night? And it's just, sure, man, that's great. Hey, can I use your building? Oh, of course. Come on. It's like, hey, you want to join for an event? You want to like get together for an event and do some kind of food truck thing? Oh, let's do it. And so right now we're really feeling that in this area. And it's, I, I feel like it's super healthy. And, you know, some people bouncing around from church to church and say, Hey man, no territorialism. It's like, Hey, 
you find out what's best for you. That's completely fine. I know you're at the blogging last week. I know you were at a, a long haul. It's all good. It's like you, you choose the best church for you. It's all good. So I just think everyone's just kind of open-handed and generous. Mm-hmm. And like, you know what? It's not, it's not about this, you know, and uh, like holding on to this white knuckle grip of holding on to um, each church member. We don't own them. Uh, they don't owe us anything. Um, so for us, we're just serving the Lord and whoever comes, comes, and whoever doesn't, doesn't. And so I think all that, the right motivation and the right perspective going into church has infiltrated into the attendees and the attendees have brought that into the community. And um, it's not so forced. It's more organic and more natural. And we're saying, you know what? There's only one Messiah. Put the cape away and let Jesus be. Yeah, I love that. Yeah. And I think too, you know, and not to toot my own horn. I don't like to do that, but, but I literally said the other day in a, in a tweet on the Twitter that the, at the Rob Foles, at the Rob Foles, no, please follow. <laughs> no, don't No, That's I'm not about that life. But the point is like, I, li- I literally said the other day, I think that the, the most wasted asset of the kingdom of God of the church in America is our unity. Mm-hmm. I mean, just th- just think about the number of churches we have, especially here in the South, of course, but even not in the South. You go to California, you go to Oregon, you go to Washington yeah. State, you go to Montana, Texas. like think, Texas. Think about the number of churches we have in any given pocket or region in America, right? Draw a circle around it and then have all of those churches work towards a unified goal, not denominationally. Pentecostals aren't always going to believe the Baptists and the Methodists aren't going to always agree with the Presbyterians or whatever. This is not a theological conversation. This is a community conversation, a kingdom of God conversation. Think about the good that could come from a church that acts in unity across the board. Right? You know what I'm saying? I know that's kind of lofty dreams, but I I still think it's the most wasted asset we've got. I think Jesus prayed about it in John 17. (laughs) Well, he did, but that doesn't mean we follow it like Jesus prayed about a lot of things that we don't do on the regular. It's totally biblical. Yeah, I don't know. It's just such a great point. We do have to realize that we have a very real enemy. And um, John 10, 10, he came to steal, kill, and destroy. And so his overall um, goal in life is to destroy. And um, his strategy is division. Right. And if you break down his strategy into his actual tactic, it's offense. It's um, us like taking offense and being easily offendable. And I think you can either choose offense or you can choose joy, but you can't choose both. Yeah. yeah. So I think when a, when a culture, a local culture decides they're going to be offended about every little thing, they're not going to operate in joy. And then that's going to infiltrate throughout the seats, the attendees and every, yeah. ch- every one of those churches they're going to walk out each one of those church doors and they're going to be leaving without joy, which then it's a full cycle and it goes back to being easily offended. Mm-hmm. And then you're in the wrong cycle and the snowball is going the wrong direction. So I think if yeah. we're going into, Hey, listen, I came to give you life and life to the full, the tail end of John 10, 10, and you operate in that and you operate in generosity and gratitude. That is actually what he means by life to the full life. He's not talking about a Mercedes Benz and a fur coat. He's right. talking about life to the full, life abundantly is a life filled with joy and intimacy with him and gratitude and holding this life open-handed. And I think that's what we're feeling right now in this region is a bunch of pastors that really, in my, the most influential pastors in this area, um, get it. And they're actually creating right. a culture for all. That's, good. that's amazing. Well, you kind of brought up a key point and uh, shout out to our friend, uh, John uh, Brevere and his book, Bait of Satan, on this conversation of offense. But also you 
and your journey and your story, uh, you've kind of put into a book. You and Holly have kind of, you know, had to walk through some difficult times. So you've got a book coming out, I think, what is it, March 29th? Yeah. Is that yeah. correct? March 29th. And it's called um, Restore, Transforming the Sting of Your Past into Your Purpose for Today. And so it's a really gl- a good glimpse into the hardships and the trials that you guys have kind of walked through a little bit. And I think that conversation is a great caveat to this book that you've written um, and that's, you know, going to be launched on March 29th. So kind of talk to us a little bit about the book and uh, maybe what are some of the ex- stories or the lessons that people can expect to gain from that. Yeah, well, everyone listening in has got some kind of pain in their past. You know, mm-hmm. for me, I came from a really, really troubled childhood that I really have spent years processing and said, hey, how in the world do I process all this? What is the point of all this? Why? What is what was God thinking? What was the why to all this? And I, I highlight some of that trauma, uh, some very, very just um, intense uh, stories of things that have happened to me in my life, lifetime. And then I'd share with the reader uh, how I process that, uh, from a biblical standpoint of like, okay, yes, there was this, the flesh side of me that processed that trauma this way. And hopefully the reader can connect to that as far as, Oh, you know what? I know what that feels like. I've processed it like that too. And kind of went through my journey of how I processed it. And then usually the tail end of each one of the chapters is okay. How can you, what are you dealing with right now? How could you process it? This particular kind of pain. But the whole point is, is that we would, like the tagline says, transform that sting of the pain of yesterday and turn it into purpose for today because I've got a passion for stewardship and people hear that word and they automatically think money. No, but it's managing God's blessings, God's way for God's glory. That means managing the life that you've had, the life that you've been given. If we look at Matthew 25, 14 through 30, it's the parable of the talents or the parable of the bags of gold. That is not just about money. We all have been given a life. We've been given a history. We've been given some kind of upbringing uh, our years so far. We've got 16-year-olds listening in right now. We've got 60-year-olds listening in right now. Regardless of how many years, you have been gifted that. You've been whatever it is, the good, the bad, and the ugly. Now, you have to manage it, and you have to bring purpose to it, and you have to maximize it. And so for me, it's like, let's go back. Let's kind of relive that. Let's rebring it up, not dwell on it so it's unhealthy. But let's suck the nutrients out of it. And how can we bless others in the future? So that's what the whole whole book's about, restoring, the whole idea of restored. Uh, we just restored this farm. We just That's how we started the conversation. We are taking an old, dilapidated, abandoned farm that appeared to have no value. We've jumped in. We've added some, we put some resources to it. We put some life around it. And now it is a, a respite for people from all over the world to come to and to enjoy some time away to be refreshed. And many ministry folks come in and they get some respite and they get um, books of being written here. So you guys see the point where you're giving something purpose. And so that's what my prayer is that anyone who reads this or listens to it on audio um, has an inspiration and some instruction and details on how they can take the baggage and take the pain from their past and give it purpose. Chris, as as leaders here at the table, as people have worked in church, and I know you and Holly have experienced it, Rob and I have experienced it, church hurt is a real thing. Like, we get hurt by leaders, we get hurt by church situations. Um, I've not had opportunity to read the book yet, but I'm sure, as knowing your story, there's some of that woven into it. How do we, how, how do we turn the pain of church hurt into purpose? How would you direct us in sort of that particular conversation? 
Yeah, you know, step one would be separating church hurt from church disappointment. Mm. Uh, we asked the we asked the uh, question from the stage, uh, probably like in our week eleven, uh, week ten, week eleven of our church, and said, "Hey, who here has ever? We want to know who was in the seats. What kind of baggage are they bringing in?" And uh, we were talking about community and talking about serving and groups and stuff like that. And say, so who here is like a little skeptical? And you got some church hurt. Yeah. It was like eighty percent of the room. Mm. Well, as I heard more stories and talked to the people in the lobby, they weren't really talking about church hurt. It was church disappointment. I mean, I think you got to divide the two. I think a lot of people would say, man, I got church hurt. You won't believe what happened to me. And it's like, you dive in, you're like, okay, they just didn't start the ministry you wanted. Like, yeah, yeah, right, yeah. okay, they didn't, say, <laughs> yeah, they didn't say hi to you one weekend and you felt right. like you were invisible. That's church disappointment. I mean, that's different. Then the second thing I would say to people is separate the difference between the church hurt and you got hurt by people who attend a church. Yeah. You you didn't get hurt by the church. The whole entity, let's say it's a thousand person church or an 800 person church. Those 800 people are still amazing. That church is still amazing. You got hurt by three people at an 800 person church. Don't, don't give the church a black eye. It's fallen humans that are to attend a church. Yeah. And uh, a lot of people take that church hurt and they say, oh, I'm not attending anymore. So-and-so, that one church hurt me. It's not the whole church didn't hurt you. It was maybe two or three leaders. Maybe it was one leader. Maybe it was one family. But we, we get hurt and, and uh, we get frustrated at a mall. When uh, recently you get, you said, hey, you can't come in here because we can only have a certain amount of people in the mall. You still yeah. go to the mall. Uh, you, I, we, I, don't, I can't get shipping in 10 days. You still shop online. Amen. Like, so you still do things when you get yeah. disappointed or even yeah. hurts. Like, man, that really frustrated me. That lawn care guy just didn't show up. You still have a lawn care guy. So uh, that was, that's the way I processed that. But for me, it's like, okay, even if there really is real hurt, okay, what did I feel? What did I go through? And how can I now, instead of sympathizing for somebody, because I felt it before, how can I internalize that, bottle up what it feels like, and now not only sympathize with somebody in the future, now... I can empathize because empathize is actually putting yourself in someone's shoes and feeling what they feel. Sympathize is just saying, oh, I hate that you're feeling that way. Empathize right. is another level. And so that's another way of how you can transform the sting of church hurt and uh, turn that into purpose. For yeah. So let's, it, it is one of the, the classic quintessential arguments of why people don't like church. They extrapolate even larger to Christianity in general, right? So what... This is a very, very theoretical question. Like this is, we're just making massive gaping assumptions here, but I'd like to get sort of your thoughts on what is the difference between being disappointed and being delayed on your Amazon shipment, right? But you still shop on Amazon to being disappointed because your pastor preached a sermon and he said something in the sermon that probably stung a little bit, maybe. And so now you're quitting the church. Like, what is that? What is that gap? Like, what is that massive assumption that we have about the church or people in the church that will cause some of us, others, maybe even ourselves at some point to say, no, I'm checking out. This isn't for me. Like, what is that besides sin? That's the easy answer. You can't answer sin. That's that's the freebie. Sin. (laughs) The fall. (laughs) Yeah, right. We are fallen humans. Um, You really did open up a can here. I mean, this is like... uh, I've got a multi-layered answer. I'm going to try to give it as fast as possible. 
The number one is, is that we don't give people grace that we'd actually want ourselves. Mm. The bottom line is, is we, we, give, we let's say we have 10,000 words in a given day. There's going to be out of those 10,000 words, you're going to say some things that like, you know what, I didn't really mean that. I probably shouldn't have said that. It's not quite a sin, but was it wise? It probably wasn't wise. Man, that probably hurt that person's feelings. We all do that. But we have the grace for ourselves of like, oh, I didn't mean it. But we don't have the grace for the person with the microphone. Listen, that person is giving 10,000 words in 30 minutes. And occasionally, 52 weeks a year, they're going to say a sentence they shouldn't have said. Right. Come on. Like, let's have some grace. We have a lot of grace for people in the church, but we have very few little grace for leaders. Like the leaders are supposed to be perfect. Uh, So that's one. Number two is the way that we judge people. We judge people based on reality, but we judge ourselves based on our intentions. Mm -hmm. We all think that we're better than we really are. And so we have a lot of patience for ourselves, but very little patience for others. I can't believe they cut me off. You cut three people off last week. I know you don't want to be a person who cuts people off, but if you look at reality versus reality, you're just like them. You, oh, I cannot believe they're talking about them. That's just such a gossiper wait a minute, you got some three nights ago for four hours at your kitchen table. Like, so I think for us, we just got to understand, you know, that, that principle as well. Last one, okay, I just told you you're opening up a can of worms here. Um, <laughs> well, good. I'm the last good, one, good can this of worms. is why we bring Chris to the table though. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> the last one is we have a cancel culture. And so as soon as you uh, immediately are disappointed, it's like, I'm gone or they're gone. Like either way, it's over. And I think we've lost the ability to be able to handle conflict. Uh, conflict actually builds intimacy. And so we know what Matthew 18 says, that we're supposed to go directly to the person who offended you. We bypass step one, two, three, four, five, and six in the conflict management, and we just bail. Then we get mad at the next church because they were actually a little bit more Holy Spirit filled than the other one's not as Holy Spirit. But this one didn't speak the truth. This one, And it's like, you're never going to find a church that is 100% going to be ran like you run it until the day that you launch a church. And so you just got to understand, it's just like a spouse. If your spouse has 20% of them that drives you nuts yeah. and you can't take it, when you change spouses, there's going to just be a different 20%. Mm-hmm. It's, you're, you're never going to find a perfect human in your eyes until that perfect yeah. human is you because you're the perfect human because we all are filled with pride. Right. And so I think if you're always skipping churches like, oh, they got this 10% right. Well, they're going to have a different 10% wrong it, as far as from your standpoint. Now, I think if something's biblically wrong, you bring it up. Um, that doesn't mean you need to bail and you run. Now, if you just know the church is not for you, you know, there's a way to leave nice and leave well and say, you know what? We kicked the tires around here for three or four weeks, six weeks, eight weeks, and we really tried. But you know what? It's just not, our, it's just not us. And it's completely fine. We love what you guys are doing. There's a way to leave well. Right. Listen, we all don't have to go to the same church and all experience heaven together right? That's not going to happen. You know, we're going to go to heaven and enjoy life together, but we don't want to go to the same church. It does not have to be dramatic when you leave a church. Listen, conflict is inevitable, but drama is a choice. Yeah. So uh, for me, it's like, Hey guys, listen, if you're around people that entertain drama all the time, just, Hey, listen, let the monkeys enjoy the circus, pull up and focus on eternal things. And don't, you don't have time for that. Yeah. And I wonder Eagles and the and the ducks fly. Yeah, I love it. And that. I wonder, Chris, how much of it is is conflict and how much of it is conviction? Because people don't like to deal with their sin. Let's just be honest. Like, like the 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 minister, the preacher, the the talk, whatever setting you're in, may have said something hard that the Holy Spirit's convicting you of, and you want to create conflict out of it. 
Like, right. Like, because people don't want to address the sin in their life. They want to point out everybody else's sin. And conviction is not something that we really talk a lot about anymore, other than, like, come to Jesus under the conviction of your sin, and then we're done with it. Like, so so I think sometimes the conflict we see in churches and even in culture is people don't want to deal with the own con- their own convictions of the Holy Spirit, what God's d- addressing in them through somebody else. Which is another discipleship conversation, because we don't understand the fruit of conviction. Yes. Right. We want to resist the pain of conviction, but we don't understand the fruit of conviction. You know, God's Holy Spirit wooing you to himself, dealing with the sin of your heart, repenting, turning, all that kind of stuff. Great stuff. Stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I I, I found myself from stage, you know, the the person with the microphone, the the lead pastor, associate pastor, Mm -hmm. whoever's speaking at the the time, you can also do some proactive things to make sure that you can limit the amount of uh, conflict and you can maximize the amount of conviction so here's an example of something i say from the stage i'll even do it in our our our, uh, prayer before i start my message like this this room should not be filled with shame it should not be filled with any kind of condemnation or guilt those are all things of the enemy god we we ask for we actually we and i use the word we not not you it's i'm in this too i'm a fallen man and so i think if you can use we like we're all in this journey together that helps and you can actually speak to the fact there should not be any shame or guilt in this room. I said, I, I just say, listen, a healthy awareness of where we're at with the Lord is a healthy awareness of like a healthy conviction. And God, we're actually asking for you to convict our hearts. And so I've created a culture of people that are coming in. They're actually yearning for that Holy Spirit prod. Mm-hmm. They actually want to leave. Like when you leave the gym and you get a good workout, you're sore. And you're like, oh, I feel like I did something. That's what we want. We want to leave the gym sore and swollen of like, man, we did something in the gym. I mean, it's, it's pointless to leave the gym and feel like you didn't do anything. Actually, we all feel like we feel like it was a waste of time if we leave the gym and we don't feel something. And so that's the way that I'd want it for them spiritually as well. I want them to feel something when they're walking out, but it's healthy. Yeah. It's not a broken joint, but it's a sore. Yeah. I want to, I want to ask sort of a, a leadership question. I know we've been all over the map here and, um, what has been the biggest transition for you from the the traveling and speaking where you had maybe a talk or two or three talks sort of in the bag, you went to them, maybe you developed a new one every few months to the repetition of now most weeks, I know you have a preaching team, but most weeks crafting a new message, a new thought for your church. How has that rhythm changed for you? I mean, that's, I mean, completely changed. Like, the ability, if there's a lead pastor listening in here right now, just major props. When you're de- developing new content uh, every six, six and a half days, every seven days, that's insane. Like it is definitely, um, it's a new muscle for me, for sure. I think what the, one of the bigger changes is like, instead of, being, instead of being a speaker and traveling around and delivering this presentation, my first, my primary calling, which I just found out in my mid forties, is that I'm actually called to be a, I'm, my natural wiring is, you know, that I go back to Ephesians 4, 11, mm-hmm. 10, 11, 12. Some are called to be prophets. Some are called to be apostles, teachers, evangelists, uh, shepherds. Those are the five. I know all this time, I didn't know which one of those five I was. I know for sure I'm a shepherd. Mm-hmm. So for me, when it comes to speaking, I actually don't like to speak, which is crazy for people to hear. What I love to do is I love to shepherd. The way that I've tricked myself, because I do now have to speak every week, I've tricked myself, and I'm not only not speaking, and this is the number one change, this goes to your question, 
I'm actually shepherding from 30 inches high. That's yeah. all I'm doing. I, I'm, I'm taking, I'm going to put my arms around the, the congregation and we have a smaller auditorium. And so in my mind, I'm like, Hey, come, come in here, come here. Let's have a chat. Let's have a conversation. And so for me, the way that those shifts have been a little bit less monologue and a little bit more conversational mm-hmm. and a little bit more shepherdy and a little bit more of like, Hey guys, like rallying the troops, more like a coach. Hey team, let's go. Come on, come on. Let, let's get better at this. Hey, let's do this. And so it's a lot more coachish than it is. Hey, come deliver a great monologue, walk off stage, you get on an airplane. So yeah. actually it's been quite, it's been quite. Wow. Which I think kind of drives some intimacy in the environment you're in then. Cause if you were just given a monologue and going off stage, I think you lose the pastoral piece. And what we talked about be at the beginning of the, of this, the show that trust piece. Mm. So I think you become more trustworthy when you're going, Hey, I'm going to shepherd you rather than here's a great 30 minute talk. I, I created for not just you, but the church down the street and the church across the country and whatever else. Um, so I think there's a, when you talk about trust, I think that's helping build that trust in your congregation. So I'm going to ask a reverse question, right? So you step, I'm sorry, this is, this is Rob. I love your brain. This is Rob's counseling, right? I love your brain, man. <laughs> I'm getting personal counseling we, and discipleship is, right here. Again, this is why we bring Chris on the this show. This is why we got Chris on the show. Okay, so for me, having stepped out of that senior pastor role for 18 years, having to deliver content every Sunday, et cetera, right? Going from that, going to the context where I'm at in at Lee, which I love, and I'm trying to shepherd these these five thousand college students, but I don't do it every single every single Sunday, right? I get a couple times a semester to be on that platform, and one of the biggest, most difficult transitions for me has been going from creating that content and delivering it on a regular basis to feeling like everything is has to be done in this one moment because it's the one or two shots I get a semester, right? So to me, and maybe others who are sort of in that reverse sort of reality, what is some advice that you could give to help me help others kind of think through that that moment, sort of launching into that that singular opportunity? Like, you understand what I'm saying? It's been a hard transition for me. I'm being very honest. Yeah, I mean, totally. I. I think uh, just natural in today's world, and I don't know if it maybe maybe for like hundreds of years, I don't know. I just know that in this climate right now, in church world, and probably actually take this outside of church, just human beings in general in society today. Right. We overestimate the event and we underestimate the process. We yeah. just do. We overestimate the event and we underestimate the process. So I think number one role for you and for me, uh, right now we're small, so I can actually... Uh, do both at the same time. You can't. With 5,000, you can't. Your number one role is to create a culture that these 5,000 students all, not all, because you're going to have the bottom third are going to be completely far from God. They yes. just are. That's just yeah, the, yeah. The, you have a third, you're going to, ideally, you have a third that are far from God. You have a third that are on the journey and you have a third of like these rock star people that can disciple the rest. Yes. That'd be like a dream. I mean, it is for me at least. I don't know if that's for everybody. But there might be somebody listening and go, no, I actually want a church where all 200 are like ready to go with Jesus. And there are yeah. 10 out of 10. I don't, there's other, but for me, I like the third, 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 and third. Um, you're trying to, your number one role is to create a culture where they're all, you're creating a culture where everyone wants to grow together when you're not around and when there's not an event. Because you think about it, you got 168 hours a week, right. 128 hours of a, a, awake hours a week. 
and you've got 5,000 people all doing this and all integrating with each other and all like doing life together and having little two-on-two coffees and one-on-two coffees and one-on-14 parties. And they're, they're having all these environments where they're together. Your goal is that there are discipleship type conversations happening when you're not around. Right. So it's still shepherding. It's just shepherding with an infrastructure. And of course, you've got a team and uh, you've got these pockets. For me, I just deliver an org chart, put together an org chart. Okay, these people, these people, these people, these people. And the goal is, is that everybody is um, being discipled, you know, uh, eight, eight of 10 people per. So you're, shepherding for you looks different. It's not as warm and fuzzy. And an organization as big as you are, it's actually a lot of whiteboarding. It's a lot of leadership. It's a lot of, and uh, you got to keep reminding yourself like, oh, this doesn't feel like shepherding, but it very much is because you are shepherd of shepherds of shepherds of shepherds of shepherds that are all shepherding. And uh, if you don't do your job, the, 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 um, the anointing drops from the beard, the Bible says. Yeah, yeah, and so yeah. like, if you're not doing your job and you're doing only 50% of shepherding, well, then they're only doing 40% to the next level. And then they're only doing 30% and then people aren't getting shepherded. So I know it doesn't feel as warm and fuzzy. That's actually what I'm more used to. I'm used to being a pastor at a church of 10,000, 20,000, 15,000, several of them. And here I am now at this church of 350. And I'm like, oh, this is so fun. This is so warm and fuzzy. And I'm really enjoying it. But if I stay that way, yeah, we won't reach any more people because yeah. I will be all in my warm and fuzziness. And I need to like, we need to go out and reach more people. So it's a fine line. It's a, it's a tension to be managed. Yeah. It's, let, me, it's, let me affirm you, Rob, because I stare at your whiteboard every time we uh, record. <laughs> There's a lot of whiteboarding happening here, Chris. <laughs> There's a time. <laughs> so you're doing well. If that's the measure then you're doing well. Yeah. Like you are like every time I walk in, there's something else on the whiteboard and I go, Oh, what's that? And you're like, Oh, I sat with this student group and this is something we're working through. So I think if that's the measure, then you're doing well. I love the two in Jeff. He's always such an encouragement, such a helper, <laughs> such a helper. Yeah. There's, and here's the deal. This podcast is another example. Yeah. Okay. You, you don't, you can't have an event every day, but you can have digital products, digital discipleship that's happening. We've talked about several uh, spiritual uh, concepts and principles in this talk. Right. Mm -hmm. And so like people have it on their phone. That's where they're at. They're doing life on their phone and doing life on their computer. This is another example of shepherding. It just looks different. And then on top of all that, so that you stay, your heart stays pure and your heart stays soft and tender. You do have a group of people that you spend daily life with. And then there's always that one or two, you know, like uh, Andy Stanley says, do for one what you wish you could do for many. Mm -hmm. The bottom line is you only have 128 hours of awake hours a week. You can't do it all. You can't just sit one-on-one -on -one with all 5,000, but there are two or three in a season, you know, yeah. one, two, three people. Like I'm literally going to get my hands dirty on this one and I'm going to get neck deep in some pain so that I can stay tender. So I'm not in some ivory tower and I'm just leading people who are leading people who are leading people. I want to be touching real pain at all times so that I stay a tender leader. Yeah. Again, yeah. It, just, just I, I saw somebody around. and I wish I remember it was a leader that I follow on, on social media, but they put up an image of an inverted funnel and the inverted funnel is Jesus's model. Was it Scazzaro? Scazzaro. Yeah. It's Scazzaro. So which I'm reading his book. So maybe that actually is why it tweaked it. But anyway, so the point is I've had to adjust to the, adjust to the inverted funnel. Like, like my primary sort of impact is to those two or three or four or five or 10 students who are then funneling down. And that's, mm -hmm. that's been difficult for me to adjust 
Yeah, I'm just being honest. No, it's good. Yeah, it's good. I want to ask you a, a kind of. We have a final question, but a question before we get there. When you guys were on campus, we talked a little bit of baseball. Chris played baseball in college. I didn't reach that level. I tore out my my shoulder. Come on, MLB, get your act together. Let's go. <laughs> well, not that. That's not it. But but I know Jesus saved you, but baseball did it as well because you got saved in college, right? Was that the story? Like you went to a Christian college on a baseball scholarship, and the Lord found you there. Um, what advantage or disadvantage maybe was there in coming to faith later as a college student? A lot of us get saved in our teen years and sort of then work out faith and sort of settle in as young adults or adults. What advantage or disadvantage was there as a college student coming to Christ? To Christ. Well, I think, you know, I, uh, it's hard to say an advantage because you got to have more years in sin. Uh, yeah. so, uh, <laughs> we all, we all, I guess we all are, you know, in sin, it's just different sins. Um, I, you know, you think about it, if you were to, um, you know, you have two kids and uh, one of them uh, got in a ton of, got suspended one day and you picked him up from school and gave him a hug and said, I love you. Mm. And then the other one had a perfectly normal day and didn't do anything wrong. And they got in the car and you said, I love you. Which one means more? Well, the one that got suspended that they got, they got, they're getting the grace that they're receiving for what they did. Uh, and they're more grateful. They're like, oh my goodness, my mom and dad are so kind and so grace filled and they love me anyway, unconditionally. And so there is a little bit of advantage. I think, I don't know. I'm not on the other side, so I don't know. My wife actually, I was like, I think she's saved when she came out of the womb. So <laughs> just two, two completely different testimonies, but for me, I feel like um, here's an example of how it manifests itself. And this is not true for everybody. This is just for our story. Uh, every single weekend in worship, I am a blubbering mess. I mean, mm-hmm. to the point where my shirt is drenched every weekend, every worship experience in the car. I'm telling you two minutes into a song, I'm a, I'm a disaster. And they'll look over in the seats like dad is doing it again. It's like a running <laughs> joke that I'm like, I cry constantly. I've just, I just, if I get a glimpse of just like a, a momentary thought of what I've been saved from, yeah, I am so ridiculously grateful. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> um, I don't, I, I don't know if she has that. Like, a, she's very thankful. She's got a great relationship with Christ. She's very left brain. She's very logical, valedictorian, knows the Bible uh, just forward and backward, has a great relationship with Christ. But that whole tenderness of like, God, we, we, I've been through some stuff. Yeah. You pulled me out of it. Um, I, I, for me, I think it's an advantage in some ways. In other ways, I'm not as emotionally stable. <laughs> <laughs> so, hey, there's, some, hey. there's an underbelly underbelly to us. Hey, crying, crying dad leaders unite. I I am a ball baby, man. I I, I'm right there with you, bro. Don't worry about it. You got everything. You got, you got somebody in your corner. So cry on, cry on strong brother. Yeah. Well, let's, uh, maybe you have a different answer than last time, but the final question we always ask here at the show, because we do record here at the university campus, which is quite glorious today. Beautiful. Um, what is one lesson you learned in college that didn't take place in the classroom? oh let's see here Mm. i don't get stumped very often i forgot about this question the last time i was on here (laughs) um shoot um 
Uh, you know, I would say um, there's, I, I love this word. It's kind of a, a big word lately in the last six months, but uh, grit. Um, I learned that um, you can work a lot harder, especially at that age. Um, stay up that much longer, do that much more study and take on that side job, um, play sports on top of that, and you're going to be okay. Actually, since then, I've found out that if you work during college, stats show that you have a higher GPA than you do if you don't. Interesting. Which is, which is you would not think that. Yeah. However, discipline, ble- discipline bleeds. And so when you are disciplined and you're waking up for a job or you're, you're having to be uh, dressed better. So when you dress better, you act better. And so you're more professional. And then you take that discipline into the classroom and then vice versa. You take the discipline from the classroom and put that into your job. You actually, when you have, you don't work, most students, not all, but most students with that free time, they're not using that to study. They're hanging out in the cafe. They're, they're walking around campus. They're working out. They're doing other things. So just grit uh, to answer your question that you can do a lot more than you think you can. Um, and that actually you developing grit in college is going to help you big time separate yourself from the workforce because the average adult nowadays is so soft. And they work 43 hours and they start crying. You're like, come on, how did we get here? You go to a foreign country, you go to Haiti for three or four days and you watch them walk three miles each direction with five gallon jugs on their, on their back and on their head. And like, you're like, are you serious right now? We, we can't, we can't work 43 hours. Are you serious? And you start complaining to your, your, uh, your employer. So you're getting me preaching again, but I would say grit. Um, everyone listening in, you could probably bust it more. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. That's good. Well, we, we, before yeah. we do say goodbye, a couple of things. Make sure you can pick up the book. It is called Restore, Transforming the Sting of Your Past into Purpose for Today. I'm sure it's on Amazon or wherever books are sold. And if you love this conversation, the conversation we had with Chris, episode 35, was much more nuts and bolts leadership. But that's I listen back to that one often just because I love Chris that much. So. Yeah. But. So, Chris, thanks for being on the show, man. It is always a joy. You are a friend and a brother. We are praying for you guys. We are proud of you. Yeah. And uh, I'm kind of pumped that, uh, Lord willing, soon you'll be part of this great Lee family. So that's exciting. Thanks for being on the show, man. Me too. Yeah, as we always say here at the Leadership Drip, Chris, you've got a seat at the table. Thanks for being on with us. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Leadership Drip. If something from this episode was helpful for you, then share it on your social media and tag us. If we see it, we may reshare it on our channel. We appreciate you taking the time to join us. And remember, you always have a seat at the table.